we are live ladies and gentlemen good morning good afternoon good evening and good night wherever it is you're listening from my name is Bev Chahonyo. If you are just joining me for the first time, if you've never heard of this podcast, you are missing something. It's been about a year and a half of me recording this podcast and it has changed my life and the lives of many. So I encourage you to go and look for it on all the major um, podcast platforms. It's on uh, anchor.fm, it's on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a whole bunch of others. And we're now actually recording a video. We're um, on YouTube. Yes, so we're on YouTube. So look for Beverly Bev Chahonyo on YouTube, and you'll find me there, and you can go back and listen to all the others that have been recorded or watch them. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe, and then to reach out to me with your comments as well. So my friend, my guest today, this has been six months in the making, if I'm not mistaken. We started talking about this in December and we're now in June and we went back and forth and we tried to record and it just wasn't working. And then this man decided this morning that he was going to say that perhaps it's a sign. And I rebuked him sharply, sharply rebuked him. But before I continue to rebuke him, let me introduce him. Um, he is one of the most resilient people I've ever met. One of the bluntest people I've ever met. You need a friend like this in your corner who will tell you the truth you do not want to hear and slap you straight <laughs> out of your silliness. Uh, I attended a, a session with him, a class actually, last year, uh, Mastering the Talent of Your Business. And it really, really pushed me to ask myself certain questions and to begin to do certain things differently. Um, and then I bought his book, which we will talk about. There we go. And I actually have two copies, like believe it or not, I ordered it. And then it, it took quite a few weeks. So I figured maybe I hadn't ordered it and then I ordered it again. So I have two copies, one to give away. So be very engaged in when, when this is posted tomorrow, because today is Saturday, it will be posted tomorrow. And we will have a lucky winner ladies and gentlemen so my friend steve harris you will get to know him more as i ask him more questions but steve welcome hey bev good to hey. see you you did forget something about my bio though you forgot to mention something really really significant what did i forget to mention i'm, what really, I I'm really he's really good looking you should have you should have, i don't know why okay so steve says he is bold bald and bearded and tall buff bearded tatted and the works so there we go there we go <laughs> how are you i'm good good to see you bellissima good to see you good to see you how is nigeria i kind of miss i miss certain aspects of nigeria not traffic in lagos but well, you know you guys <laughs> no nigeria is good we're we're protesting it's our democracy day so we're protesting so okay yeah. another okay. just in the life just a day in the life just a day in the life okay um and how is your beautiful family they're beautiful beautiful tolerating me enduring me just i'm their slave what can i say uh, well then I, i'm glad you know your place uh, i do i wouldn't have that <laughs> so i have a whole bunch of questions to ask you and i will just we will just dive right in you are a husband a father a published author, a successful entrepreneur, podcaster, marketing guru, and coach. And when I say coach, I mean financial, business, life, um, relationship, yep. you double. So 
this is me describing you, but how would you describe yourself? The man you see when you look in the mirror every day, how would you describe yourself? Um, hmm, great question. How would I, well, the man in the mirror looks really beautiful. So there is that. So <laughs> apart from that, <laughs> um, to be honest, I think, I think I would say that, um, I don't know. I, I think I just probably say that my goal or I, I define myself simply as someone who's just trying to make people better, uh, one day at a time. That that's just the truth. I, um, I just want to make people better one day at a time. I want people to chase their greatness. I want people to stop giving excuses. I want people to be willing to fail. Um, because like I always say, you know, if you're, if you're willing to fail more than people are willing to try, you'll beat them every time. So, you know, that for me is important. So yeah, simple. I love that. If you're willing to fail more than people are willing to try, you'll beat them every single time. Absolutely. So just get up and do something. That's yeah. it. Doesn't have to be perfect, just has to be done. Just do it. Okay. So consistency over perfection. Absolutely. All the time. All the time. Okay. So we are getting to know you better. You are known as the ruthless executioner. Where did that name come from? Um well it it started with my coaching program, which you mentioned, mastering the business of your talents. Um which is a, you know, it's an online program that I run for about six weeks and just taking people through a journey to um, literally make their highest sales yet. You know what I mean? Just take them on the journey to just help them increase their sales market better. Um, but most importantly, um, find fulfillment doing what they love. Um, and, you know, the way I work is very, um, very results oriented. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not one for just knowledge or clarity. My, I'm really big on people getting stuff done. Um, so, you know, a lot of coaches, well, we all have different methodologies because we're all trying to achieve different things. Um, but my DNA is always very, get it done, get it done, get it done. So um, in the coaching program, you know, people would, you know, give me excuses initially about, you know, why they hadn't performed, why they hadn't met their goals, yada, yada, yada. And I'm good. I'm always like, look, I don't care what's going on in your life. You can, you know, you, as far as I'm concerned, you know, get it done or die trying. Um, and somebody mentioned, she said, Steve is so ruthless. He doesn't care whatever you say. He's just going to kill you until you get it done. And I was like, ruthless. Hmm, I like that. That is true. I am actually ruthless. Um, so I put the two words together, ruthless execution, which is, you know, so, um, it just stuck. So people just started calling me Mr. Ruthless Execution. You know, people started saying, don't go to Steve. If you go to Steve and you want to get something done and you're not planning on getting it done, he is the wrong guy to go to because he will kill you. He will drag it out of you kicking and screaming. You will get it done. So they would say, you know, don't, don't tell Steve your, your dreams or your goals because he'll make you do it. Um, and I found out that that was a gap for a lot of um, individuals because they had great ideas, but they had this execution gap. And I'm really big on execution. So um, it stuck. So Mr. Ruthless Execution, here we are. So I happen to know that um, you are very ruthless when you want to get things done, but you're also just a teddy bear. But let's not no, tell people that. No, no, I am not. You're no, not. You're not. Sorry. I'm sorry. Not who said that? I am not. No, I'm a grizzly. Can't you see me? See my claws? I'm a grizzly. Okay, you're a grizzly bear. Fine, we will go with that. That's the story we're telling ourselves. I'm speaking to that. That is it. <laughs> so when I introduced you, I said you're by far one of the most resilient people I know. What makes you tick? 
Um, I, I think for me, you know, without going into too much detail, um, I dropped out of school twice um, many years ago, and that kind of affected, you know, my self-belief and, you know, a lot of things. And um, I always say to myself that I don't know who I would have been if I actually, you know, matriculated and, you know, got my degree and everything. I don't know who I would have been. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe I would have been a governor. Maybe I would have been president. I don't know. But I don't know who I would have been. So I always say to myself that um, in some sort of alternate universe, you know, a multiverse is the case maybe, if I could ever meet um, a version of myself, you know, the Steve Harris who, you know, graduated, ate his cornflakes and said his prayers, if I could ever meet that guy, um, I want him to wish he was me. You know what I mean? I want him to look at my life and be like, dude, man, you've got it all going on. You know, I want him to, because I know he'd be successful, but I want him to wish he was me. Um, so because I have a blank canvas, I have a blank slate, um, I try not to let, you know, the voices in my head, my wife says I need therapy. I agree, but I'm like, you know, we'll get therapy eventually. That I'm using what I'm going through as fuel to get me to where I'm going. So all my junk, all my demons are the fuel necessary to jet propel me to where I'm going. When I get there, we'll, 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 get, we'll get therapy. Uh, but yeah, so for me, it's really about um, pushing myself as far as I can because I don't know how, where I would have been if I, if uh, you know, if, if if things had gone a different direction. So yeah. So first, two things. First of all, your wife is a very wise woman, so let's leave it at that. Um, but secondly, um, you said that you want that guy to be jealous of you. You're the second person I've heard say that. I, I watched a clip by Matthew McConaughey, and he says that the only person he competes with, with is his future self. He will never compete with Oh, he got that from you. I, my bad. I'm sorry. I really should get my facts straight. Uh, you should, you should. So he got that from you. But I really like that because I think in the world we live in today, we're so busy competing with people who are so irrelevant to us, to the core of who we are and to the uh, to our assignment, because our assignment is very unique. There's nobody else who can be Bev the way Bev can be Bev. Actually, there's nobody else who can be Bev, period. But go. Bev could be busy competing with somebody on, on Instagram or on YouTube or, or at work who has no clue she exists. That's the other thing. We're competing with people who don't even know you exist. So um, I, I really like that, that way of thinking. Grazie. <laughs> Niente. Good job. Um, so we talked about, so you mentioned actually, and this leads to my next question, that you dropped out of college twice. What is it about the, so, the formal system of education that did not work for you? Um, well, you know, to be honest, I'm not going to say that I, you know, it was part of my evil plan to, you know, take over the world. So dropping out of school was, was important. Um, no, it, to be honest, it happened you know, quite serendipitously. Um, it wasn't planned. So what had happened was I had, you know, gained admission to college, the, the University of Benin at the time, um, to study industrial math. Well, to be honest, I wanted to be an engineer. Well, technically, that's what my parents wanted me to be um, because you could work in an oil company. <laughs> so um, unfortunately, it didn't pan out that way. So they gave me math because I didn't make the cut. Um, and I've never really been a numbers guy. I don't really like numbers. I always say that the only numbers I care about are the, the numbers people pay me and my back balance at the end. Um, so, you know, long story short, you know, I get into school and 
I'm doing pretty okay first year. Everything is going kosher. Um, second year, I start getting getting a tad distracted. So, but in fairness to me, I mean, it's not like I was dumb. You know, I've always been considered a pretty smart guy, at least by my parents. My parents have always invested in education. I've always loved to read. You know, my daughter takes that from me. I've always loved to read, loved to dabble, loved to just study and learn. Um, but um, I think also the the department I was in, I hear still. Um, is regarded as, you know, one of the most corrupt, if not the most corrupt in that particular, you know, institution. And back in the day, you know, if you had an F, I mean, first off, the lecturers will tell you you weren't going to get an A. You know, like, no matter what you did, they're going to be like, look, A belongs to God, um, the Bs belong to me, you know, so whatever you're going to get starts from a C. Um, and if, you know, so I remember that if you if you looked like at your your course, you, you looked like you felt like you were going down the F route and you wanted to get a D, you would have to pay a certain amount of money. And back in the day, you had to maybe like five grand to get a, you know, to get an E. If you had an E, you wanted to get a D, you'd pay 10 grand. You know, if you had an F, you wanted to, you know, so just choose your grade, multiply by the cash and just choose. Um, but I didn't figure that that was necessary. I, I kind of figured that, well, my brains would get, you know, would, you know, because I, I studied, I was pretty diligent, though I got distracted here and there as, as most kids do, but I wasn't stupid, distracted. I was involved enough to be able to focus on what I was doing. Um, and long story short, you know, when my grades came out, I had the most ridiculous grades. You know, I had like four of a hundred. You know what I mean? You, like a whole semester, you got four. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I, you know, I, I mean, four of a hundred, 11 over a hundred. I remember three particularly, four of a hundred, 11 over a hundred, and 13 over a hundred, Bev. You know, it was ridiculous. So I went to be my course advisor at the time, and I said to him, look, you know, this can't be right. You know, there is no way on God's green earth I could get four of a hundred. You know, I, I literally said to him, if I was blind, deaf, dumb, and stupid, I would never get four of a hundred. And he says, oh, you're that, you're, you know, you're that American kid. So tell me why this, these aren't your grades. I'm like, well, well, sir, you said, I mean, this is how it works in Africa, people. Um, um, I said, you said that if we bought the materials from you, if we bought the handouts, uh, the materials that you, you know, your publications, um, we would get, you know, 20 marks. Excuse me, sir. I have your, your publication. I have your handouts. That's 20 marks already. You said if we got like, you know, 75% attendance um, in the semester, we'd get 15 marks. Sir, I have not missed a class. The records show it. That's 35 uh, I said in the last continuous assessment over 20, I got 14. So that's 35 plus 14. That's 49. We haven't even written the exam yet. 49 at least is a D. You know what I mean? So, I mean, let's not even think about my exam scores, but at least I should get a 49. You gave me four. So it just doesn't make sense. You know, and then he looks at me and then says, you know, after he says, are you done? I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean, I've, I've, like a good lawyer, I've put out my arguments. The evidence is there, the facts, it, you know, can't be denied. And he says to me, how do you think you'll pass when you all, when we always see you with this girl? And he mentions the name of the girl. And Bev, I, you know, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. I can swear to you, Bev, there was absolutely nothing going on with me and this girl. It was purely platonic. She was like, she was literally my study partner. So I was like, no, sir, I'm for real, though. She's my study mate. He says, keep on studying. We'll see how well you do. And Bev, you know, long story short, you know, I get kicked out of, out of school after spending about five years. Um, and then I see those, you know, those words that no college kid wants to see. Candidates is advised to withdraw. So to be honest, I, I, I didn't leave because I wanted to. I was kicked out. Um, but then the second time I, I, did, I did leave by myself. Um, but to answer your question, um, forgive me for the background, the meandering, but to answer your question directly, I do think that one of the things that holds um, well, that formal education 
limits people with is, you know, I, I think that there's a place, for example, for, you know, you know, even before kids get into, into college, um, psychometric testing, where we need to be able to identify and say, you know, based on your, you know, your, your psychometrics, based on your personality, these are the kinds of courses you should do based on, you know, so I had no business in math. You know what I mean? I should, I should have worst case scenario. I should have been in, you know, business or communication or heck, probably even a lawyer since I know how to talk. You know what I mean? But I had no business in math. Um, and then again, I also think that sometimes, a lot of times, particularly here in Africa, um, our curriculums are outdated. You know, I mean, I remember back in school, the computer, I, I took a bunch of computer science courses. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I dropped out of school in 2004. Um, so be, till then, we were taking, you know, computer courses like Fortran 77, Cobalt, Bev, let me put it in context, Fortran no longer exists. So at the time we were learning that, the program was obsolete. It was no longer, it wasn't in any computer anywhere around the world. So we were learning, it was almost like learning Latin, but at least Latin has users, you know, Latin may be a dead subject, quote unquote, and I know you're in Italy, so no, no, no harm, no foul, right? But but at least there, it's adaptable by a lot of people. But Fortran was was a programming language that was dead. COBOL was dead, you know. So the curriculums were obsolete. So we were already behind the curve, you know what I mean? Um, so it, it just didn't work for me. So by the time I got into my second second university, um, I was done. I was spent, and particularly psychologically because I'd been through that whole drama of you know my first university and getting kicked out. And by this time, you know, my mind was in a bad place. You know, my younger ones, Bev, my, you know, my little sister had already graduated. She was working in a bank. My little brother, who was like five years younger, was, um, if I'm not mistaken, was already in like his third year and out of a five-year course. My, my baby sister, who's 10 years younger, was already in, you know, first year with me, even though we're both in, in different schools, because I had to go start all over again. Um, so psychologically, I was in a really bad place. And... I just couldn't deal, you know what I mean? And it didn't help that the school I went to wasn't exactly a really great private university. Um, so they had a lot of, I won't even say teething problems. They were just, as far as I'm concerned, they were a glorified secondary school. Um, but, you know, they had no business having a license. I think they still have no business having a license, but I'm not going to mention their name. But my point was, it was just, it was ridiculous. Um, I couldn't, I, I just could not be. So I just remember after about seven months in the school, I just, you know, one of those days that you go, you're allowed to go out of the school for maybe uh, for a couple of hours or a couple of days. So I think I, I feigned the sick leave. So I needed to go home for sick leave, but I never returned. I just walked out those gates and knew I wasn't coming back. And that was it. So here we are. <laughs> but full disclosure to anyone who's listening, thinking about dropping out, don't be a fool. Stay in school. Yeah. I just want to put that out there. Don't be a fool. Stay in school. <laughs> so it's not going to be a Steve said kind uh, of conversation with you. No, no. Being a dropout, you know, when you're in a class all by yourself, you know what I mean? Because I am literally in a class all by myself. Um, the world does not go easy on you. You know what I mean? It's hard enough if you've got a, you know, a second class, you know, you don't have a first class degree, you've got a third class, you've got a pass. Life is hard. Um, when you now choose by yourself to drop out, life is merciless and relentless. And um, you've got to have a lot more cojones than just you know, um, book sense to be able to, you know, make it through. Thank you. Um, just 
I, I was just listening to what your professor said to you. First of all, what has a girl got to do with anything? Whether you hang out with a girl or not, if you're studying, you're studying. So he, that, he, he was interested in studying with her, if you know what I'm saying. Oh. Yeah, he was interested. Went right over my head. Like, that went over your head, I know. You went to a good school, Beth. You went to a good school. <laughs> yes, know. apparently. Um, really and in, interestingly enough, I remember in high school, uh, my principal, my headmistress told me <laughs> she really didn't like me. She, she really didn't like me. Uh, that's a story for another day. But she actually told me that I would never amount to anything, um, that the most I would be known for is my interesting hairstyles. So well, she by your hairstyles, though. But well, she was right there. <laughs> but, but for me, it's just sad that these people, are, these are the people that we, that are, are given trusting with young minds to mold them. Right. And here we are having conversations like this. Uh, and I'm sure there are kids today who are in school who are having similar conversations. So I, I, I think it's just really important for parents to be very active um, and, and very engaged and involved in how their children are treated in school. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> what is the one thing you would say, one characteristic that is essential for success? Um, I would say hunger. I'd say hunger. Um, um, not resting on your laurels, you know what I mean? And just going hard. Um, I think a lot of people are excited about the image of success, but they don't recognize that success carries a price tag. And that price tag is called sacrifice. You know what I mean? It's called sacrifice. And a lot of us cannot pay that price. Um, if you want to, you know, have six packs and look like the rock, you know what I mean? You've, there's, there's a heck of a sacrifice you're going to have to pay. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of people, you know, which is why, and no disrespect to this generation, which is why a lot of people are more interested in trending or going viral um, because they think it's a quick route to, you know, success. Um, but the old fashioned way that we, you know, I know how to, you know, succeed was being the best at your crafts, recognizing that there were times and seasons, recognizing that um, there was a gestation period. And, you know, like the Bible says, as long as the heavens and the earth remain, seed time and harvest will not cease uh, lots of people have seed they want the harvest but they don't want the time so where this you know instant generation you know instant noodles microwave insta instant instagram instant gram gramification as the case may be um but a lot of people don't want to pay the price so i think that one of the things that people need is is that hunger and also you know, if I could add one more, to be honest, is actually patience. You know, we are not willing to be patient because like you mentioned, we're competing with other people where, you know, there are our competitors that, you know, we put them on our vision boards and we want to outdo them. But when you're when you're patient, recognizing you're going through the process, I think they, they said something about maybe bamboo. I'm not sure if it's accurate, but I, I read somewhere that they said, you know, bamboo has to go down for, I don't know, a bunch of years 
um, and you see nothing. You plant it, you see literally nothing. I mean, other plants are sprouting, even weeds. I mean, weeds have instant, weeds just grow everywhere. You know, you don't even need to plant them. You don't even need to dig the soil. Just chuck them and weeds sprout before you know it. But bamboo and some of these other plants or oaks, they take time. And while it looks like other people are sprouting here and, you know, giving off fruit, they know that they're going to be here for the long term. They're going to be here for the long haul. So I don't want to be one of those celebrities, even though I don't think I am, or one of those brands who is just relevant for the now. I want to be timeless. And to be timeless recognizes that you've got to put in the time. You know, you've got to put in time to be timeless. If you want to be a one-hit wonder, absolutely, that's fine. You can get your 15 minutes of fame and, and on to the next. But I want to be here for a long time. You know, the people that I, some of the, 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 the um, um, let me just say my idols, as the case may be, are people who are timeless. I mean, I think about Bruce Lee, right? I did a bit of martial arts when I was younger. Bruce Lee is timeless. He died at 30-something. He's timeless. He's, he should have been maybe like 80 years old, but we still don't think about martial arts without thinking about Bruce Lee. I think about Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson has been dead for maybe 12 years, but his music still lives on. He is timeless. I think about Jesus. You know what I mean? Jesus was crucified 2000 something odd years ago. We we still talk about that guy. He's timeless. So I think patience is, a, is one of the most understated and undermentioned um, tools for success, particularly in, in life and entrepreneurship. And I like what you said in terms of, again, it's not putting down the, the younger generations that are coming up, but if you look at statistics, they don't stay in jobs. Right. They stay, you know... <laughs> And this, this is funny because I have been known to, you know, not stay in jobs. I will stay as long as, for me, it's about assignments. So once that assignment is done, I'll be like, okay, Lord, where do you want me next? Um, but you will find that statistically, one and a half years is the longest you're expecting somebody to stay with an organization. And one and a half years is... And our parents, my mother worked in the same bank for 30 years until right. she retired. I don't have that in me. Well, maybe I do. We're, we will find out. But but you know, it, it, it's 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 taking taking the good times and the successes and the wins, but also taking the crap and being yes. able to stay there and and use it as manure to 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 mature you. And yeah, yes, you know, I have heard that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sorry? I, I I agree. Please forgive me. You know, I agree because again, you know, as you know, that how you do one thing is how you do everything. So so and. If you check statistics, you know, you know, let's say we brought in the millennials in this conversation, um, millennials are also less likely to have longer lasting relationships. You know what I mean? So it, it transcends beyond just your job. How you do one thing kind of spills over to how you do everything. So you find out that somebody's staying in a job for one and a half years and he's looking for the next thrill. She's looking for the next thrill. They find that all of a sudden they're finding it harder to, even in relationships, commit to each other and stay longer because they're like, it's not working, you know, gone to the next, you know. But I, but again, patience and like you said, you know, manure, the shit you have to take, I hope I can say that in your podcast, whatever you can take to, you know, make you mature through the process um, is incredibly necessary as well. Uh, and, and it's so interesting. So you've talked, we've talked about staying in a job. We've talked about staying in relationships. They also, when you interview um, a certain generation, they say, we don't want you to talk to us about pension. Talk to me about the perks now. How can I get a car loan now so that I can drive a fancy car now? 
Don't tell me that in 30 years I'll own a house. Who needs a house in 30 years? We'll deal with 30 years when we get to 30 years. So right. it's, it's just really interesting. So I like that. Um, hunger and patience. Um, and tell us about the, <laughs> the last time you walked out of, your, of a job, like formal employment. So you've talked about this a lot. Um, I think you had a newborn baby or there was a baby yeah. on the way? Yes, a baby on the way. Yeah, and then you, and then obviously you have to support your family, um, and you had a very small amount of money in your bank account, and within a few days it had gone even less. So right. tell us about that experience and what that did to you. Number one, just as you, as Steve, but also as a man, as a husband and, and a father. Um, yeah. So for me, I think it was 2010, um, and. I felt led, you know, I don't know, you know, everyone relates to God differently, but I felt led in my heart that it was time for me to leave, which was, to be honest, the worst decision as far as I was concerned, because I was doing great. You know, I, I worked with, you know, my mentor, Fela Dorotway. Um, I had, yes, I can see you smiling, yes. Um, and I worked with him and, you know, he told me everything. He told me the ropes, showed me the ropes. And I was in his organization and I was growing exponentially. Um, in a couple of years of working with him, I had gone from being literally um, an office assistant slash intern to literally becoming the head of our consulting group and also one of his, if you might call it, directors um, in a three to five year period. So things were really, really good. Um, and then God lays it in my heart to leave. And, you know, I struggled with that for a long time. And ultimately, when I obeyed, um, because I even remember talking to my wife about it because I had to carry her along. And she was like, well, well, are you sure it's God? I'm like, yeah. She says, well, hey, if it's God, um, jump. He'll catch you. I'm like, what? <laughs> jump? What do you mean jump? I mean, don't you think we need a parachute? We don't even have a parachute. I mean, come on, man. You know, but my wife was like, look, if it's God, you know, then let's do this. Because it's not like you have an issue. It's not like you're bored. You're doing really, really well. So I know I can see you struggle with this. So I know it's not a desire to start something. And which is very interesting because a lot of people sometimes will hear my story think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fella had trained you and, you know, he had, um, um, he had poured himself inside of you. Therefore, you thought the next best thing was to start your own consulting firm. And the truth is, it wasn't, it wasn't, nothing could be further from the truth. I had no plans of doing anything. You know, I remember even before I started dating my wife, I was in a relationship with someone who we broke up because of that. Because she was saying to me, she said to me, when are you going to start your own consulting firm? I said, never. She was like, what do you mean never? You should start your own. I mean, you're working with this guy. You're learning all these things. You, I mean, you're the guy who's, you're the face of the business. Why don't you go start your own? I'm like, never, because I don't see that. And, you know, Bevan, it's quite, it's quite strange. And I say this to people back then. Then the word, the word that God had given me then when I first joined Fela was, I'm sending you to the best number. I'm sending you to become the best number two to the best number one. That was the word I heard. So my my core, my assignments was to be the best number two to the best number one. And that was the word that I got. Um, so for me, when this girl was, you know, talking to me about leaving, I was like, uh, you're from the devil. Go, go, go. You know, so we, didn't, we just didn't work out. Um, so... So I struggled with that word leaving because I was like, but Lord, but you told me this. Why, you know, why are you changing your word? Come on, Lord. And unfortunately for me, at the time I left, at the time, it was perhaps the worst. We'd, we'd, done, we'd done a lot of work with clients. We were owed a lot of money. Um, but I had 20,000 naira, which unfortunately, as you probably know, um, the Nigerian economy keeps changing its goalposts. So, you know, whatever the value of the, that money was, I mean, right now, let's see, uh, 20 grand right now would be According to the Naira, Naira, that will be like $40, right, to, as at today. 
um, as that when it happened, maybe it would have been about almost $200. So you can imagine the devaluation of our currency. It's that bad. But anyway, that's another story entirely. But I left with 40 bucks uh, USD as the case may be, um, which does not do anything to, to any for anyone, especially if you, your wife is pregnant. Um, and I, I sat at home and I was really concerned about, you know, you know what the next step was because again don't forget like i've put in context i'm a, I'm a two-time college dropout so i don't have a college degree and nigerians nigeria is very well it's changing now but they were very very big on degrees qualifications certifications so it, it wasn't like i could leave my job and then go and apply somewhere else um because i didn't have the papers so i, I was screwed i was like look there we go so i mean you know here we are so sitting at home and i was trying to figure things out and by the third day of sitting at home I had 17,000 there, which would probably equate to maybe 35 bucks or something less, or maybe 30-ish. Um, and I'm like, Lord, come on, man. What's going to happen? How am I going to take care of this woman? Like, her tummy's getting bigger. In fact, it's gotten bigger over the last three days that I've been at home. <laughs> so how are we going to do this? And, you know, my rent was going to be due in a couple of in like three months. My wife had also left her job a couple of months before. So both of us were technically unemployed, sitting at home. And, you know, you know, God put it in my heart. It was like, aren't you the guy who keeps saying, you know, you, there's this thing I always say, it's not what you don't have that limits you. It's what you have, but you don't know how to use. I'm like, yeah, it sounds great, but Lord, how's that going to help me right now? It's not what you don't have that limits you. It's what you have, but you don't know how to use. And so, you know, he and I start going into this conversation, I, you know, and he was like, okay, so if you'd like to make any amount of money, how much would you like to make? I was like, hmm. 88 million naira, 88 million naira. I don't know how much that is in dollars, but whatever. I'm like, listen, man, 88 million bucks. I mean, I've never made that in all my life. In fact, I, it's crazy. It's just outlandish because, you know, imagination is free, right? Um, and so, I, I, you know, so how, how is this money going to come? So what I started doing was I started itemizing my giftings, my talents, my experiences. So I started writing down. I said, so at the time I had, you know, five years management consulting experience. Um, I'd written a book, you know, I know I had an idea to write a book. So I said, Oh, if I, if I, maybe if I start my business and I get 10 clients to give me 5 million bucks over the course of the year, I'd make 50 million. If I write my book um, from college dropouts, a corporate sellout, and I, I sell a thousand copies at two grand, I'd make 2 million there. So I broke the math into 80. So I had, so I knew what the numbers were. Um, but Lord, I've got, 88 million there in, heaven, in heavenly places. Can it please touch my bank accounts? You know, let it please touch my bank account. You know, um, sorry, are you hearing the buzz? So let me tell them. Okay. Oh, yes. Now I can hear it. Yeah, let me tell them to turn that off. Don't worry. I won't skip a beat. He won't skip a beat, ladies and gents. He will be right back to finish this story about 88 million naira. And only Steve would say he wants 88 million. Like, why not 80? Why not eight? Why not 100? Why not 85? He wanted 88 million naira. Wow. So my question to you as we wait for him to come back is, have you sat down and itemized your gift? Have you written your gifts and your talents? Um, that's, a good, that's a good assignment. Sit down and, and write down what it is you have in your hand that you're not using that could make you money. And now Steve is back. Okay, continue with your 88 million Naira story. Yes, yeah, so I've got 88 million bucks in heavenly places. And Lord, can you please send it to my guarantee trust bank account? Like, I just need a part of that, Lord. Um, but I found that what started happening was um, I started getting opportunities, um, which were disguised as problems. So I'll give you one quick example. Um, 
So I, I was, so during those, um, during maybe I had about two weeks before that money was going to run out and full disclosure, I got a client who, well, not a client, I got an offer from someone who needed a consultant on a project. So they were going to pay 250K for maybe like three days of work. So I was like, okay, great. Let, let me just do that and add it to whatever I had. Um, so that bought me a few more, maybe at least a month of time as the case may be. And I remember being on that project and um, while I was at it, somebody had said to me, you know, during the tea break, a lady came to me and me. she said, you know, you speak so well, you know, you're very articulate and da, 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 da. She says, have you ever compared events before? Have you ever anchored any events? I was like, mm, not really, but she says, no, nah, I'm sure you can because, you know, you're very, you know how to command the audience and you're very engaging, yada, yada, yada. She says, you know, my friend's getting married. I'm going to give you a number. You know, you guys can talk. So I was like, yeah, whatever. So long story short, a friend calls me and says, hey, Steve, you know, getting married. My friend gave me a number. Um, how much do you charge? Now, I'd never done it professionally, compare it as, a, you know, as a, to be an MC or anything. Um, so, you know, so I asked a friend um, and at the time he was like, oh, he charges 150 grand. And I don't know why I was like, okay, well, let me, let me double it. So I, was, so I just told her, I said, hey, um, you know, you know, we normally charge, you know, 300 grand now. <laughs> Um, as you notice, I, I use the word we, <laughs> even though it was just me, <laughs> you know, again, God is a corporation, me, myself, and I, so, you know what I mean? It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I was like, you know, yeah, we normally charge, you know, 300 grand and Bev, that was a lie. <laughs> you know what I mean? I wasn't even earning close to that, you know, prior, maybe prior to the time, maybe I was probably earning 200 grand for a month and I was charging 300 grand for a day. And my heart was like, you, Steve, you are, you lying son of a gun. <laughs> you, you liar, you, you know what I mean? But, but she says to me, she says, oh, Steve, oh, 300, it's a lot, it's a lot. She says, can I pay 250? My brain just did what? She like, really? <laughs> but I, I got to play it cool. So I was like, 250, 250, oh, 250. In my mind, what I was doing, I was calculating math. I was like, 250 times four. If I do this four times, I'm a millionaire. <laughs> so I was like... Oh, 250. I was like, yeah, sure. Because it's you, you know, because it's you, because you came highly recommended. Nor I'll do it. Bev, I did, I compared the event. Um, it was really just about an hour because they had to catch a flight for their honeymoon. And Bev, you know, I, re I remember going with my wife to that event and it was an hour. And by the time, you know, I came back and we're driving off, I felt so bad. Right. I felt so bad. I, I remember telling my wife, I said, this isn't fair. This this can't be right. She was like, what's the problem? I said, don't you get it that previously I would work a whole month to get the same pay. But here I am getting it for the for, for just one for a day. Scratch that for an hour. I said, I've been taught. I've been conditioned to believe that money comes through sweat. Money comes through toil. Money comes through labor. It comes through hustle and grind. And I, I, I didn't even break a sweat. You know, I'm feeling really bad. You know, I think we need to give them some of their money back because I don't I don't believe I've earned this money. You know what I mean? My wife, you know, I saw you shaking your hand. I was like, no, 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 no. Uh, uh, oh, no. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Very wise. There's no way you're giving that money back. There we go. You know, and so we, you know, and, you know, and so for me, that broke a, a major limiting belief in my mind, which was previously that money had to be hustled for. Money had to be toiled for. Um, to now recognize that the money, money can come to me easily, and I don't even need to feel bad about it. So that was a huge wake-up call for me.
I love that. And let me point something out to you. You said earlier in this conversation that you're not a numbers guy, but I, I, I wanted to differ then, but now I'm going to actually differ because not everybody will sit there and think, if I do this four times, I'll be a millionaire. Not everybody's going to say, okay, this guy charges 150. Let me, let me double it. Not everybody's going to think how you're thinking. So sure. I, I beg to differ. And I have been in, in, like I said, I've been in that class. You are a numbers guy. So just stop lying. Just stop. Maybe, when I'm, maybe when I'm calculating money, I'm a numbers guy. <laughs> well, is it, well, what else matters? Your age, the number of children you have, your go. money. What else matters in numbers? The number That's of people you've impacted. Yes, pretty yeah. much. So, so you're good. You're a numbers guy. I'm a numbers guy. There we go. I'm yeah. going there we go. That's <laughs> okay. Um, and again, very similar. No, I think I'll skip this question, actually. I think you've answered it. So what do you think is the biggest problem in Africa today? The one thing that if it was fixed, it would completely turn the world around? Oh, that's a hard question. Uh, well, I don't know. I think, I think we just need to do stuff. You know what I mean? I think we spend a lot of time pontificating. We spend a lot of time second guessing. We spend a lot of time just, you know, spinning our wheels and just doing nothing. You know what I mean? So, um, we've just got to do stuff. We've got to embrace knowledge. You know, I, I think particularly the young people, your younger people, I mean, we're young, but maybe the younger people. And, you know, technology has made things, again, like we've said, very instant, very quick. Um, and knowledge is almost abused. You know what I mean? Um, I think because a lot of people are strung in this whole paper chase trying to get some money that how you get it doesn't matter. You know, what you do to acquire it doesn't matter. Um, but I think if we come into a place of personal development to recognize that you can be more, you can do more, you can have more, um, it'll, it'll totally change, you know, our lives when we realize that seeing everything you can be, it just starts in your mind. You know what I mean? If, if we had people who, especially even in our leadership, if we had leaders who were wealthy in their minds, they wouldn't steal public funds. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If we had people who recognize that the, the difference between this guy and that guy, and the, maybe the results he has is not because he got a government contract. It's also because he understand, he has a level of knowledge and understanding. I think we need to be, we need to start celebrating wisdom. We need to start celebrating wisdom. We need to start, you know, Making it, you know, give you an example, and I'm not trying to shame anyone, you know, Bev. So, for example, let me use Nigeria, right? There are Nigerian, so for example, Big Brother, right? You know, Big Brother's global, but, you know, Big Brother Nigeria is such a big friggin' deal, Bev. It is such a big deal because for a lot of people, you know, we are, I say this a lot, where we have a culture now, Bev, that makes celebrities out of non-entities. You know what I mean? And I'm not trying to disregard or diss anyone, but we have a culture that makes celebrities out of non-entities where somebody just stays in a house for 90 odd days, gets food, gets drinks, gets cigars, 
gets everything paid for. They're all chilling, doing nothing. And just by staying in a house for 90 days, doing nothing, you come out a millionaire, you get celebrity endorsements, you get this, that, and the other, your life changes in, in, in an instant. Now, when you're painting that picture to a generally poor population, they're going to value that as a route to success than any other thing. Now, when those, no disrespect to them, non-entities, and unfortunately, because it's, it's reality TV, so it's made for television, so the more entertaining and outlandish, and in many case, cases, the lack of, the more or the less values or morals you have, the more likely you're going to become a celebrity. You know what I mean? Um, so they throw their values to the wind and ultimately they come out, they become verified on social media, they become celebrities, they have a voice, they're at the parties and they're living lives and everybody wants to be like that. But now you you would you would flip that and you would there's a, there's a show on television, even in Nigeria, for, for example, high school kids. It's called the Cowbell, I think it's Cowbell is one of our, um, whatchamacallem, um, milk brands, Cowbell um, Math Competition Bev, right? The winner of that competition, which is like they bring high schools together and the best kids who pass math exams and, you know, math quizzes and all the whole nine yards of science quizzes, Bev, they get a million bucks, not dollars, a million bucks, Nigerian. The winner of Big Brother Bev gets averagely 45 million there. So just by prize money alone, right, what do you think is going to happen? These kids who are math whizzes and science whizzes are going to be like, what's the point? I do all this and I'm going to get a million bucks and then maybe my school gets one friggin' measly laptop or I get a, a laptop and nobody knows me the moment I'm done with that. They're not celebrating wisdom. At the end of the day, the big brother person who just sat there, smoked, you know, smoked, drank, had a bunch of orgies, shower hour, and all the other things. And I don't, I don't, and I understand Big Brother is a business. They're, they're, they're filling a need, filling a vacuum. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we have a culture that makes celebrities out of non-entities and does not celebrate wisdom. So what we're doing is we're now making it harder for our young people who have right values to take the straight and narrow because like, what's the point? What's the point of me taking the street and narrow? I'm not going to get a reward. The corporations are not even going to sponsor this. I'm not even going to get anything. So you know what? I might as well just join a big-ass queue on Big Brother. Bev, you should see the queues, man, for Big Brother Nigeria. You should see the queues. It is it is like a stem friggin' pee. It's like a pro we don't We don't even have those queues for protests in Nigeria. It's that serious. The number of people who want to be celebrities. But we built a culture that makes celebrities out of non-entities and then those non-entities no disrespect to them become the role models and every other person says if this is how they did it then this is the way to do it we don't have a culture that celebrates wisdom so let me ask you this i'm just gonna you know deviate a little bit so how do you have conversations about wisdom with your daughter how do I you you are Steve and, and, and her. How do you relate to her and try to instill these values in her as a parent? I, well, I, I think it's about exemplifying it. You know what I mean? It's, it's one thing to just talk about it, but it's another thing to show it. Um, I remember, so my daughter's an author as well. And she wrote her first book when she was five. She is so cute. I'm sorry. She's just the she cutest. Her mom. That's not me. I can trust me. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm cute, but not that cute. My wife is everything. 
you know, but, you know, she was, she wrote her first book when she was five. And just like me, you know, she comes, she would come and she would see, she sees me with books. She sees me, she's, I'm reading or I'm listening to a podcast or doing stuff. And, you know, my daughter, I'm not kidding, but my daughter sleeps with a dictionary. She sleeps with a dictionary. She's reading and she's looking for words. And for me, I'm like, this is so weird. And I remember, you know, what became her book was a school project. And they were supposed to write something. They were supposed to write a story about something or the other. My daughter starts writing a story about the magic hen and the dancing chicken or something like that. And she was just writing and writing. And, you know, she would write and stop and go play, come back, write. So we always seen her with this. What are you writing? She's like, she's writing a story. Um, long story short, she submitted the paper to her school. It came back. And she just decided to still expand the story. And, and this is where, you know, this is where... Um, mentoring comes in so my, my wife would spend time with her and ask her questions okay so what's the story about and they would embellish the story and just keep writing um eventually the book was done it was just yeah, i mean here's the beautiful thing about it this is how i knew there was something there um, because when people would come to the house she would say to them oh i've written a story would you like to read it and she would say yes and she'll, she'll bring her book and she would read the story to them so i was like you know what wouldn't it be something if we could put some motion behind this vision. So we got an animator graphic designer and he put it into a book, children's book. And we just created a few copies just randomly, you know, just like, oh, little girl's written a book. Let's just, you know, support her. So when uncles and aunts and people come to the house, she, oh, she, I have a book, you know, do you have children? Yes. Oh, um, I think they would like my book. She'd bring the book and then she would hand over the book to them. Oh, thank you very much. You'll say, oh, it's 3,000 there. <laughs> so collect the money from them. <laughs> You know what I mean? So, but my point, the whole long ramble about this is, I think first off for me, it's, to answer your question is, it's it's show, not tell. You know what I mean? Is you know we have show and tell, but this is I believe is show, not tell, um, and it's constantly about rewarding. You know, my daughter teaches me things that you know, even as an adult, that I should know. I'm like, that's true. I remember one day we were talking about something. I think we wanted to buy something, so it was an either-or situation. So, would you like to have this? Maybe it was ice cream. Would you like to have this, or would you like to have this? And my daughter says, "Why can't I have both?" And I was like, "Wait a second. That's true. Why can't you have both in this life? Who says you should either be this or that? You can have. You know what?" You know what I mean? So that, it, that dawned on me. She did something else that was really amazing. Um, in her school, she, so she's in, in first year in school, high, um, well, secondary school. And um, the, the teacher had said, they, they, you know, the kids should nominate people to be, you know, class captain. And I think maybe two kids were nominated. And my daughter wasn't nominated. And so my daughter said to the teacher, can I nominate myself? And the teacher said, yeah. And my daughter nominated herself and went on the ballot. She didn't win, right? But she got maybe like out of the class of 10, maybe she got two votes out of three, you know, whatever. I think the winner had four votes, four, three, and two. But I was like, it was you actually put yourself forward that that, is, that should be rewarded. So my point is we must reward good behavior. Whatever is, whatever is rewarded gets repeated, so as a parent, when my daughter does these things and I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, that's true, but I should know this now. When I was your age, I wasn't doing this. I was not doing this. So I, re I re reward the behavior to reinforce that thing, to be like, go girl, you've done it. That's amazing. Do it again and do it again. And that builds her confidence. And I think that that's what parents should do as well. 
Thank you. So yeah, that was a, a bit of a digression. Um, so <laughs> I'm looking at the clock and I'm just gonna keep going until you tell me you are done. I have eaten all your time. I know I said one hour, but let's just keep going. How about that? So during yeah. the pandemic, you hit revenue targets that surpassed even your own mindset in your opinion, right? What is the mindset of a winner and how did it help you? Let's talk about how you made all this money during 2020 in the middle of a global pandemic and you blew your mind, you blew your bank account, you blew. So let's talk about that. And then what is the mindset that got you there? Um, <clears throat> well, I, so, so, first, you know, I know it's going to sound cliche, but I think, I think to be honest, it was love that did that. It was love. And I know that that's not what most entrepreneurs say, but I think love, love made me do that. And uh, I meant that from the perspective of, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of businesses were shut down. A lot of people were afraid. I was seeing so many people around me being terrified about, you know, the businesses, particularly brick and mortar businesses that were shut down um, and they could not do anything. They couldn't take care of their families. Food was scarce. Money was scarce. There was a lot of fear. Um, and for me, you know, you know, to a to a carpenter, every problem is a nail. You know what I mean? To a soldier, every problem can be solved with a bullet. To a coach, every problem requires training. You know what I mean? So I just thought about it and I said, how do I train people to recognize that in all this chaos, there's opportunity, you know? Um, and that's what I started doing. Um, and just showing people that, look, irrespective of what's going on, you need to have what I called business immunity. And that was my message. How can your business have immunity? And for me, it was great because um, I had to use the parallels of the pandemic. So there was a health crisis. So how do, you, how do you become immune? Or how do you make sure that you're not vulnerable to COVID? How do you make sure your business is not vulnerable? How do you make sure that your business is immune? How do you get vaccinated? So I was just using all these health metaphors to talk about business and teach businesses. Um, and a lot of entrepreneurs were like, look, Steve, I need help. You know? And so what we did was, of course, um, knowing the going concern, um, we, you know, of course I had to bring the prices down because I, I was trying to help as many people as possible. So what I did was I created a bunch of group sessions, um, two hour group sessions where I'd have maybe 10 entrepreneurs and I just listen to them and tell them, this is what you need to do, do it like this. And I listen to their challenges, uh, because at my heart and you know, I'm a marketer in my heart, I'm a business strategist, but I understand marketing, copywriting, a lot of these things, you know, that make businesses tick. Um, I, I don't like to see, I'm not, I'm not an operator of a business. I, I, even though I have businesses, but I'm not the operator sit down and, okay, let's look at forecast. That's not me. You know, that is, I'm not, I have people who do that. Mine is just look at the vision and say, okay, this is where we're going. Let's, so I'm a strategy guy. Um, so I did all those things and I found that it was really, really helpful, um, over the course of the year. Um, I don't even measure my success to be honest, Bev, based on the money I make. I, I think I measured it more based on the number of businesses I could help. You know what I mean? So I think maybe over a 10 month period, um, I was, I probably helped maybe at least 500 businesses. You know what I mean? And for me, that was success because, you know, for them, they could now reposition themselves and they were able to stay afloat, stay in business. And for many of them, they even made profits um, in times of scarcity. So, you know, again, this, you know, I'm not even, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but, you know, 
a lot of my understanding, which is pretty weird. I don't know how it happens because I'm not the most, you know, my wife has told me to stop saying this, but I'm not the most spiritual of men as the case may be. But I love God deeply. And many times he reminds me of things. And I remember that story of um, um, Elijah, I think it was, and the widow, widow of Zarephath, who was in a time of famine. Um, and then, you know, he says to her, give me, you know, give me your bread. And she was like, look, this food is just for me and my son. We're going to eat it and die. And then he says, okay, you know what, this is what we're going to do. What do you have in your house? And she says, I have nothing except. And so what I was doing during that pand pandemic is to help people find their nothing except. I was helping them find their jar of oil and helping them make money in a famine because that's exactly what the woman did. She made money in a famine. And when I saw that, I was like, how do I help other people make money in famine? And I guess, I guess I was able to try. I think what you mean is that you're not very religious. Yes, that's yeah. not very yeah. yeah. uh, I'm a kingdom guy. I'm not much of a church guy. That's a different. You argument. have you have a relationship with God, and that's you and God, and you you don't necessarily. Yeah, you're not very religious. Um, okay, so that's great. So now let's talk about this book. This book cracked me up. Cracked <laughs> me. Um, but at the same time, it slapped me silly because there were things I was doing. That I am no longer doing. I have to let you. Know. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it's funny too. You're 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 a really good writer. Like you, you tell a good story. So thank, thank you. you for writing this. I'm looking forward to more. So, <laughs> what inspired this book, Honey? Why are we poor? Um, for me, this book has been. This book has been maybe like an an eight year journey. To be honest. Um, yeah, almost maybe an eight or nine year journey. So I think what had happened was in my mind, I'm, I'm a lot of the characters in the book. So I'm Ezzy, I'm Tokes, um, I'm a bit of Soma once in a while, if you know what I mean, but I'm, I'm, I'm both Ezzy and Tokes. Um, and Ezzy of course is the, the guy who hasn't gotten his act together and Tokes is the guy who now has. Um, so I went through a lot of Ezzy experiences myself where, um, I was I was working, but like I said, I didn't know where the money was going. You know, I couldn't point at anything. I had the car, I had the nice apartment. I was so to speak living life, but I was broke. I was broke all the time, and I was meeting people who were broke all the time. I was like, why are we all broke? You know what I mean? Uh, you know, and then I'd go to organizations to do some work for banks and stuff, and the bankers were broke. I'm like, how can you guys be broke? You hold people's money. This is a conundrum. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so, it was, and for me, I just like, oh, man, honey, like, why are we poor? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, you know, it just dawned on me, you know, you know, that, you know, poverty has evolved. Like I say, it drives a car, lives in a nice part of town, has a property, works, has a job, and poverty is broke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so for me, it was, it was, it was, it was my journey. And, and, and I wanted to write a book, Bev, that was not was, let me put this, I wanted to write something that I had been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, you know what I mean? I had come out of it. So I, I wasn't gonna write, so which is why it took, to be honest, that long to write it. Not because I didn't have the idea or the principles, but the principles had not worked for me. I had not worked the principles. I knew them by principle, but I had not worked them. I know that it's like, you know if you lift weights, you'll build muscles. And go, why are you lifting the weights? No. Are you in the gym? No. Well, you know that. So I wanted to make sure that whatever book I was writing concerning money, I wanted to, you know, like the Bible says, I wanted to talk about things that my, my eyes have seen and my hands had held. 
you know, I wanted to have gone through the process so that if if I get an opportunity to be interviewed by Bev Chahonia one time in 2021, I can I can honestly say to her, it was not. Let me use the word as we say it's in Nigeria: demeaning motivational speakers aspire to perspire. It was stuff that I had done, I had been through, and I had come out. And now that I had come out, I was like, okay, great. I've come out of Egypt. I found my way into the promised land. All right, all y'all, rest of y'all poor people, let's go. This is how we're going to do it. <laughs> you know, so that's why I wrote it. <laughs> it, it really did get me um, having difficult conversations uh, with right. myself and with other people and uh, and beginning to look at, you know, first of all, debt is wicked. Debt is yes. just, it's wicked. So, you know, looking at where was I and how did I want to get out of it? Like making an actual plan and then working the plan. Because I think a lot of times people will make a plan but not really work the plan yes. or they'll borrow someone else's plan. So um, I, I, I will be very proud to tell you that I am light years away from where I was last year. Mm -hmm. I'm now talking right. investment. In, I, 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 and what happens, and this is the truth of the matter, is you then begin to to hang with a different crowd because your right. mindset has changed. Absolutely. So, um, just to whet uh, people's appetite, in, on page 22 you say, and I love the way you write, money is like a woman. You must treat her with respect. If you, if you have a vision that's beyond you and are serious, strategic plan, oh, wait, what was I writing? Let's just go to page 22 from here. <laughs> <laughs> so money is like a woman you must treat her with respect if you have a vision that's beyond you and a serious strategic plan to take you to that destination she'll stay with you but if you treat her with disrespect and try to use her she'll turn the tables on you and dump you like a stale loaf of bread so talk to me about money is like a woman you know i had to pick one of those right i i know i know i i, I remember um doing a voice Whatchamacallit. I think I, I did a voice note quoting that exact phrase and I put it on my social media. And the women were like, oh my God. Can you just, you know, Steve, just keep talking. I'm like, listen, are you listening to what I'm saying? Like, you know what I mean? So um, but I for me, I thought about it and I said, you know, money's like a very beautiful woman, and she can be with you, but it only depends on the vision you have for her. Um, a lot of people get into flings and one night stands with money. So they, they, you know, they hit a big contract and that's it. And they don't know what it takes to keep her. And to those people, money becomes like a dominatrix. She puts them through very interesting contortions that are painful um, because they do not earn, they have not earned the right to keep her. Um, there are some people that money has just moved in with them and money's like, let's just, let's hang, let's just, let me see, well, let me even see where you're going. Let me see what you're doing. And after a while, if it's not working out, money's just going to leave you and dump you and just leave you a lot worse than where you were. And then for some other people, money has a, const a consistent and constant relationship with them. They know what it means to get her attention. They know what it means to keep her attention. Um, and so I, I use those parallels in the story to, just recognize that it's not just about, you know, I tell people wealth is not the money in your bank account. Wealth is the ability to attract money to your bank accounts. Let me say that again. Wealth is not the money in your bank account. Wealth is your ability to attract money to your bank account. So you've got to be able to be in that position where 
you can get the attention of money. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, I think a lot of people just don't know how. So it's like a guy trying to hit on a girl. The, the fact that you're a guy doesn't mean you can hit on a girl. doesn't mean you have swag. You don't have the lyrics. You've got to learn it. You can't just say, hey, come to me to my house. Let me, let's have sex. She's going to be like, say what? You know, but you have to woo her. You got to show her a good time. You've got to get into her mind. You've got to create an experience. You've got to get her leaving that date with you and thinking about you. That's what, how you get the attention of money. So um, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people don't know how to do that. And I talk about that in the book. And I, I think a lot of women just like, just, and has been proven, um, resonates with that part quite a bit. <laughs> this is so good. I should have had some popcorn ready. This is so good. Like, this is so good. I, I'm, I'm expecting my commission for, you know, the sales that are coming out of here. I got you, girl. I got you. <laughs> but to be honest, um, the book is available on Amazon. So I got it. I ordered it and it's arrived in Italy. So it's available on Amazon. Please go buy this book. Okay. Let me talk about another one. Well, let me find a couple more. Um, page 156. And I took, I, I picked you know, from different places so that it's not like just page one, two, and three that are interesting. Um, so you say, what was I trying to see? Okay, so you're talking about the eight dimensions of wealth. This was so great. So you talk about income, savings, investments, wealth creation, land and real estate, debt elimination, insurance, and charitable giving. <clears throat> so yep. my question is, why on earth is this not being taught to our children at a young age? What are we doing wrong? Uh, let, me, let me put it like this. Um, there's something called, okay, there's a community in Kenya, the Ismaili community. And what we, are, what, what we know about, well, what I know about them is that they have what they call a spider economy. That money must change hands within that community eight times before they go outside the community. So right. Bev is building a house. Bev needs um, cement. Yeah. She'll buy from somebody in the community. She needs wood. She'll buy from somebody in the community. She needs a contractor. She'll do so eight times before they go outside of that community. Right. What is wrong with the rest of us that we don't have principles like this? I, and, and, you know, like when you look at, um, again, the Jewish community, I believe yeah. if you want to start a business, they will they will fund you. Yeah. Uh, and the biz if I think you're given like a couple of times for the business to fail, then they'll be like, you're not, you're not, you're not pure blood. Right. So now you can leave, but they will fund you without interest. And your only, um, the only expectation is that you then sow a seed into the next person who expects right. it. Why are these principles not being taught? Well, I, I think to be honest, um, particularly with Africa, um, a lot of people have money, but they don't understand wealth. So, and a lot of people also, you know, they, they, they got their money by having a seed of money, do you get? So they don't, so it's like, let me use, just let me use the metaphor of seeds and trees. So most people who are wealthy in Nigeria or in Africa are people who got seeds, right? Either contracts or this, that, and the other. But now they could not now, they don't know how to take the, build a money tree as a case maybe. They don't know how to plant it. They don't know how to water it. They don't know how to take care of it. So a lot of people who are, wealthy have unconscious competence where money is concerned you know what i mean they don't know that they can't walk you through a value chain about wealth creation it was for many times it was a contract it was a favor it was a this it was a that 
um, and they just they just oil the relationship. So they keep feeding the goose that lo- that lays the the you know the golden eggs. You know what I mean? But they don't have a geese goose. I don't even know what the English is. Geese goose company, whatever. They don't have a geese farm or goose farm. Is it geese or goose? Whatever. They just don't have a farm. You know what I mean? Um, so they they have no system to proliferate that wealth. So they just take wealth, buy this, buy this, right? So my point is a lot of entrepreneurs or a lot of wealthy people um, don't know the principles of institutionalizing wealth so that you can't give what you don't have, Bev. You know what I mean? What will you tell me to make money? Oh, you got a contract from the government. Oh, uh, somebody was benevolent to you. Okay, the end. Okay, so okay, so how have you grown this business? Which is why if you look at it, Bev, Many businesses in Africa are not transgenerational. Many businesses in Africa don't even get into the second generation. So yes, your father was wealthy and then he handed over money to you. Most second generation people don't cannot take that wealth to a new level. They either maintain it or they reduce it. Ultimately by the third generation, it's gone. You know, So that's perhaps one of the reasons we don't have a system. Um, there are not many people. So I'm not as wealthy as many of these people, but I understand that, okay, I shall know how to make my money. You know what I mean? I know how to, I can explain it. I, I can explain what I need to do. I know, I, you know, take me here, put me in Rome, take me to America. I will still be wealthy. You know what I mean? Because I understand the system that creates wealth. You know, that's what God talks about, that he's giving you the power to create wealth, strategies, the wisdom, the understanding. God doesn't rain checks. He doesn't throw away, he doesn't give you Bitcoin. He doesn't do none of that stuff. He doesn't give you crypto. You know what I mean? He just gives you the understanding. And that understanding, your power to make wealth comes from favor, comes from relationships, it comes from wisdom. You know, so a lot of people don't know how to do that. So, you know, they can't teach it. And then again, you know, sometimes when we when when we teach, when people like me, people like you teach stuff like this, people, unfortunately, um, who are the people who are most in need of the wealth or the wisdom you you carry are the ones who are first likely going to abuse the hell out of you and say why you why you you know you, you why can't you do it for free do it for free now but two poor people can't help each other <laughs> it's in the book i wrote that two poor people cannot help each other you know what i mean so and that's why i said success comes with the price tag it's called sacrifice not everyone wants to pay they want to wear the nice clothes but they can't pay for it that that is so good that is so good Okay, this one I'm just gonna read. I'm just gonna read this quote. You can't help the poor if you're one of them. The greater the poverty weight you carry, the poorer you become. Yeah. Okay, I'm just question. <laughs> what exactly is poverty weight, and how do you get rid of it? That's the last thing from the book, and then we will start wrapping up. I promise. Okay, so poverty weight is like black tax in the UK, and that's and that simply is. Um, the number of dependents you have who depend on your money. And like I wrote in the book, your dependents will leave debts in your, in your finances. They just put bullet holes in your finances all the time. Um, and so, so for example, Bev, you know, you're in, you're in Rome, you're in Italy, beautiful place. We've got family in Kenya and maybe it's your mom or your siblings or your cousins. And, you know, so the money that Bev is supposed to use to now build her own life and start her own and chase her own greatness Somebody back home in Africa is going to call and say, oh, you know, we need to pay for rents. And so Bev is splitting her money around eight different dependents without Bev finally really getting the opportunity to actually um, transcend and take her money into a new opportunity. Bev can't do that because she can't invest. 
She can't plan, which is why if you remember in the book, when we talk about the eight dimension of, of wealth, I talk about charitable giving. And when I talk about sitting your money, I'm like, look, even your charitable giving must be budgeted for. So Bev can't randomly just give, or somebody calls and says, oh, Bev, oh, please, oh, we need $10,000, da, 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 something just came up. No, 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 no. Bev needs to be able to say, if I make 50 grand a month, hypothetically, my charitable giving, my budget for charitable giving is $1,000, for example. And once that money has been spent, I have no more money to give you. You have to come back next cycle. You know what I mean? But unfortunately, people are like, oh, you're selfish. You're in Italy. Don't you know that if we convert one, how much, what's, is it, what's I don't know what the, what's, what's this? So, eh? We use the euro. Euro. Yeah. Use so, euro. Yeah. 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 So when, you, you know, if you change your euro to Kenyan money or Nigerian money, don't you know that the money is plenty? Ah, give us, just give us 100 euro now, Bev. Don't be stingy. Because that 100 euro com converted into Naira, for example, is hypothetically 200k. That 200k can do a lot for me, but... It, it, it does a lot for you, but it does a lot to Bev by doing that. You know, so poverty weight is the weight a lot of us carry, um, the number of people we're carrying, all the dependents we're carrying to our place of prosperity. And we just can't eventually prosper because, and unfortunately, our dependents don't want, again, that's the thing. They don't want the wisdom. They don't want to learn how to catch fish. Give me fish, Bev. Give me euros. Give me pounds. Give me dollars. Don't tell me that this is or don't want to do this course. Which course am I doing? Is it course that will put food in my table? But that's that's where it is. You know, so we've got also as you know, as, as being blessed. When Jesus asked, when you know, when they you know the, the Pharisees or whoever asked for Jesus' tax, Jesus told Peter to go and do something. He said, Peter, go and use your skill. Go to that place of your assignments. Go and use, take your, your your fishing rod, go and do that thing that is natural inside of you. And when you do it, money will come. Jesus didn't do ab ala abracadabra, alakazoom, here's my rent, get out of my room. He didn't do that. The money didn't miraculously appear. He sent him with his skill, and then his skill brought the money, and he paid for it. End of story. But people don't want that. They just want the fish. I love that. And when you, when you, when you do come to room with your family, there's a place I want to take you guys. There's a, a tea house. Hmm. that has been there for 105 years. No way. Not closed during the Second uh, World War. Stayed open during the pandemic doing deliveries. Is still there today. They just celebrated 105 years last month. Jesus Christ. Beautiful place um, run by an English lady. Beautiful place. 105 years. How many generations is that? Three. Three. That's three. Three. And remember, I said she's, she's English. So right. she's not native of here. So right. all the family was English, but it's a beautiful, it, it's something that you'd really enjoy. So remind me when you guys are here. I will, definitely. Yeah. I'm going, I swear I'm going to start wrap, wrapping up. Uh, so yeah, my last questions. Um, do you consider yourself courageous? I do, I do. I, I, I think my courage comes from a lot of insecurity and fear. You know, but I, I won't say fear per se, but I think that um, what really drives me is regret. You know what I mean? Regret Regret is a huge motivator for me. I don't want to live my life and realize I should have, could have, would have, but I didn't because I was scared. You know, one of my favorite scriptures is in, um, I think it's in First or Second Kings. I can't remember. It's, it's, it's in Kings. And it's the story of um, Elisha about to pass away, and he calls the king of Israel. I'm sure you're like, this guy, this, this, man, this man in his Bible. I got you. Just keep going. <laughs> 
right? And uh, uh, the story, you know, Elisha is about to die, then he calls the king of Israel and says, you know, bring your, your bow, bring your quiver, bring your arrows. And he comes and he says, open the window, he does. Um, he says, you know, shoot. And then, you know, the, the king takes his arrow, shoots, and um, Elisha says, you know, go on, enjoy. And the guy shoots two more times, and by the third time, he's done. And Elisha gets really, really upset, and he says, you know, you would have, if you kept on shooting seven, eight, nine times, you'd have totally decimated your enemies, but now you only did it three times, and that's it. And then the next verse says, and Elisha dies, died. And for me, what that means is, you know, there are opportunities that God is going to open towards us. There are windows he would open, but he's not going to tell you how many arrows you need to shoot. You know what I mean? What you, The number of shots you take is dependent on the vision you have for yourself. You know, and I think about that story and I say to myself, if I was in the king's shoes, I probably would have done the same thing. So now I have the mentality that I'm going to take all the shots I can. So if I run out of arrows, Bev, I'm going to throw the freaking quiver. If I've thrown the quiver and I've still not hit my targets, I will pull my shoe. If I, my shoe hasn't, I will pick stone. But by all means, I will exhaust myself in the pursuit of the goal that I have in my mind. And I will get it such that if God says to me, have you done all? I will say, Lord, based on my understanding, this, I've done all. I've thrown, I've shot the arrows through the quiver, pulled my shoe. You know, there's a scripture that says, the labor of a fool wearies him because he doesn't know the way to the city. I think that's such a painful scripture because I think about it and I, I say, the Bible calls this guy a fool. This guy is not sitting in his, in his house, Bevel. The Bible says the labor of a fool wearies him. He doesn't know the way to the city. So he, he's not sitting in his house. He's on his way. He's going. He has entered the car. He's driving. He's using Google Maps. So he's, there's effort. But because he, he doesn't understand the right strategy, God says he's a fool. So I'm like, well, God, I beg you. I don't ever, ever want to live in regret. So regret for me is a big motivator. I want to do all and, you know, know that God can look at me and say, you know, well done, you know, good and faithful servant, you, you did all, and yeah. I like to say that um, regret, regret is a waste of time. You can either do something, anything, mm -hmm. just do, just start doing, mm -hmm. or you sit down and don't complain. Yeah. You can't sit and regret and complain when right. you're doing nothing about it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and just to bring it back to what you said earlier, you're not hungry enough. And if you're not yeah. hungry enough, you're, you're comfortable enough to sit and complain. If you are that hungry that you're starving, you don't have the energy to complain. Either you're looking for food or you're dying. That's, I mean, there's no in-between. So Middle ground, yeah. Okay. Um, the next couple of questions I will miss out of. <laughs> what dreams and aspirations do you have that are yet unachieved? And why are they still unachieved? Um, hmm. I think the dream, well, so one of my, one of my big goals one day is to share the stage with, um, some of my mentors like Tony Robbins. I want to be, I want to be invited by him to speak on a platform. Um, and I want him to be like, oh my God, this Steve Harris guy, have you heard him? He is amazing. You know, so that hasn't happened yet. So it's on my bucket list. Um, there's some people I want to share the stage with, um, Bishop Jakes, um, um, Stephen Furtick and Tony Robbins, um, and I and I know why it has not yet happened, um, and part of it, of course, is personal responsibility. There is time and chance, of course, no doubt about it. But again, it's also positioning. It's also positioning. Um, you have to be 
found by the people you're looking for. You know what I mean? You have to put yourself in a place where they will find you, you know, and um, and that's what I've been teaching people. And, even, you know, you know, that's the beautiful thing about, you know, coaching. Sometimes it's a case physician, heal yourself. So some of your messages come from your own struggles and your, so it's not, I'm not sharing stuff that is, that sounds deep and inspiring to other people because I'm thinking about it. It's because I'm going through it, you know? So for me, so I, I said to myself, you know, you have to position yourself in a place where ultimately, eventually they will connect with you. So let me give you a real practical example, Bev. Um, it's changed or I'm more deliberate about it, but you know, I didn't know that I wasn't previously. Um, so, you know, we all have these dreams. I want to speak at Megafest. I want to speak with TD Jakes and Tony Robbins. And then I, I noticed that, well, all that's great, but guess what? who am I currently speaking to? I'm only speaking to the African or Nigerian market as the case may be. If I'm pushing my ads, my ads are only going to the Nigerian market. They're only going to the African market. So can't, why can't I? send target my ads to the american or the global the european market let them let's quote unquote let white people see me do you understand what i'm saying the more white people see me the more they'll hear me you, you get what i'm saying you know and i struggled and i realized that in my heart so i had subconsciously a bit of a limiting belief like oh one of these guys already have tony robbins what am i gonna say that they haven't already heard you know what i mean but i i, I had to be more deliberate and more intentional so i started inviting more um, and it's not because they're better or any of those things. I just started inviting more global people to my podcast, um, going live with quote unquote white people, you know, and it's not because it's a, it's a racist thing or a better thing. It's a positioning thing because if you're not communicating with somebody in America, for example, so for example, you're in Rome by virtue of this podcast, there are Romans and Italians who will, who will listen to your podcast. And now they're aware there's a Steve Harris guy. And who knows, somebody's listened to the podcast and say, oh, Beth, how do we get that Steve Harris to come to, to Rome? You know what I mean? And there's an opportunity. So by virtue of this association, I'm now exposed to your audience, as the case may be. You know, so that's so my point is it, it's a positioning problem, which is being fixed and remedied as I go along my journey. I'm taking a lot of more bigger intentional steps to do that. Um, and things are changing. So it's a positioning problem. So, yeah, that's what it is. Okay. Um, tell us about some of your upcoming programs. Um, so I, I've got two things that I'm really passionate about right now. Um, one we've already talked about is mastering the business of your talents. It's my six-week coaching program where you know I take people on a journey to ultimately make their highest sales yet. Um, then the second one I'm really passionate about is called Ifemi. Uh, Ifemi is a Nigerian, uh, Ifemi is Yoruba, which is a Nigerian language, and it means my love, or it means love me. So Ifemi really is a relationship community, um, particularly for um, women, you know, you know, single women, um, older women, single women, whatever, um, who are not yet positioned um, for the men they would like to be with, you know. So for me, it's a at the moment, it's a three-month um, coaching pro group coaching program, where I, uh, what you call them, where I, you know, just coach these ladies and you know change their perspectives, teach them, give them strategies to position themselves um, for the for, you know to attract men and and eventually inevitably keep them. So, yeah, I'm really excited about those two. Okay, so let me poke this one a little bit. So hypothetically. Um, Bev is sitting in Rome, but she likes a guy who is a thousand miles away somewhere on a different continent. 
but she doesn't know if a guy likes her, but they're friends. Mm -hmm. So how does Bev begin to position herself? It's not about manipulation. No, right? of course. So, that, that so, but how does Bev begin to position herself? Well, I mean, first off, he's got to be aware of you, right? He's got, I mean, if you're both friends, he's got to be aware of you. So um, it's first off, communication is important, you know, and, I, you know, I tell the ladies that in order to do that, you've also, you've also got to, you know, positioning is about, also it's about being interested in what the other person is, is being interested in what somebody else finds interesting. Right. So you, you need a mutual, whatchamacallum, you need a mutual. Um, like um, common ground in terms common of. Ground, that's the word I was for. Yes, common ground, you know, common ground. Um, and ultimately, you know, as as so there's there are a few things, for example, I would tell Bev to do. You, you need to be able to get his attention. Um, number two, you need to be able to get his emotions. And how do you do that? So, for example, one of the things, let's say for both of you are on whatsapp and he sees your status or you know whatever one of the things that i will tell you to do bev is you take this you you know you got really you're really beautiful got this beautiful hair take a picture and you post it on your stories and you say something like um um you can say something like because again he doesn't know but you want to pique his interest you can say something like oh date night yesterday was absolutely amazing can't wait to do it again that's it nice picture Date night yesterday was great. Now, what's going to happen is if he's interested, one of the things he's going to be like, ah, Bev, date night. You didn't tell me you were dating. Who, you know, who, 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 you know, who do you, where did you go? Who's this guy? Right. Now, you know that there is interest. Right. Because subconsciously, what he's going to be saying is, ah, so why I've been here since how come she didn't. If he's not interested, he's not going to say anything about it. But if he's a tad interested. There's gonna be that uh, you're enjoying, you know. He went on the dates. Oh yeah, who is this guy? Oh, yeah, give me, just me, just me, just me, just me. Now you know he's interested because subconsciously he's asking himself, why didn't she come out with me? So he begins to see you in a different light. You know what I mean? Another thing you could do, another random day, is you can post something and you can say, ah, um, really hot girl looking for, um, looking, um, really hot girl looking for. Steve, we've been through this one. This one we tried in December. No, you did not listen to me. You know you did listen to me. You, you know me and you record, quarreled from that day. But I love you. You're still in my life. But but you but this but this is the point, Bev. And this is this is why, for example, on Ifemi, I dedicate a whole month to just dealing with limiting beliefs concerning relationships. So right now there's a challenge on the because every week I give the women a challenge. So this week I'm like, listen, I want the women to flirt. And they must get 10 numbers from guys. So 10 guys must say to them, can I have your number? If you flirt correctly, a guy will give you his number. That's what it is. And that's the challenge for this week. But, the, but that couldn't have worked. And women are, and the ladies, there are ladies, they're, they're actually keeping score. So some ladies, I think right now, there's a lady who has like maybe six numbers. So all the other ladies like, ah, tell us, what did you do? Did you get what I'm saying? Right? But that wouldn't have worked if we didn't spend the whole month, because it's a three-month thing. We didn't spend a whole month just dealing on their parrot with their paradigm and saying, so why so you know, flirting is and some people say flirting is slutty, flirting is um beneath me, flirting is that's it. So called what is flirting? Uh flirting is a uh, is showing your cleavage. And I said, No, that's not flirting. Flirting is confidence. Flirting is being confident in your aura. Flirting is understanding your sensuality and your sexuality. Flirting is a muscle you've got to work in. 
You know what I mean? If, if I didn't spend one month teaching them that and just helping them unlearn certain things concerning relationships and dating, right? Most of these things wouldn't work. Now, some of the ladies who haven't gotten dates or numbers yet are now realizing that their dating circle is not even a circle, it's a triangle. What do I mean? It's home, work, church, the end. You know what I mean? So they don't even have a circle. They even have a rectangle. You know what I mean? So now they're realizing that, ah, it's me that's doing myself because my circle is too small. I'm not even going anywhere. So I'm telling them. So we had a we had a bit of a an argument on the group. It wasn't an argument, but we had a bit of an argument. I was like, go to a club. Go and have fun. They're like, no, clubs. Their clubs are sinful. Clubs are... I'm like, what? I said, if you think a club is sinful... I said, why is a club sinful? Yeah, because, you know, people are drinking, they're smoking. I said, then that means parties are sinful because in parties, people are drinking, they're dancing, they're smoking. They're like, yeah, but guys will grind on you. I'm like, yeah, but if a guy... If you're dancing and the guy's trying to grind on you, just tell him you don't like to be ground on. And that's it. You know what I mean? Go with your girls, have fun, dance, enjoy. They're like, so, but we had... I had to spend, like an hour on that conversation about clubbing. They're like, yeah, but good guys don't go to club. I said, we do, good guys go to clubs. They're looking for where to relax. They're like, good guys are in church. I said, we go to club on Friday. We come to church on Sunday. Do you understand? But a good guy is not in church. He's not doing prayer meeting. He's not an usher. The good guy is busy working. On Friday, he's looking forward to detox and relax. He'll go to a club, he'll dance, he'll chill with his guys. So if we don't do a lot of those on learning, the ladies are now finding that they have been sabotaging themselves. So you say you want this, but your actions are not lining um, or are not in alignment with what you really say you have. But you and I will take this conversation off air. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know where you're taking this conversation. But okay, mm -hmm. let, me say this, let me say this. A lot of ladies, it is from a fear of rejection that they actually stay in this comfort zone. They don't want to be there. They want to be living a different life but they're so scared of being rejected. But let so, me break to you, Bev. Here's the, here's the ugly truth. Guys are more afraid of being rejected than girls. No. Yes, Bev, it's true. No. I'm telling you, wait, Bev, let me tell you why. Tell I'm, me why. Let me tell you why. Because a guy's reputation is on the line if he asks a girl out and she tells him no. If a guy sees you and with your friends, maybe you, you, three of your girls, and three of you are at the, you know, at the, you know, um, at the bistro having coffee or whatever. And a guy's checking and he walks up to you, Bev, the psychological warfare that's going on in his mind is like the first thing that's going to happen. Bev is going to, you know, she's going to give him the eye and then she's going to now make him feel foolish in front of his friends, in front of her friends, because she's going to be like, oh, she's going to point to her, okay, man, look at this nigger coming. This Negro is coming down my way. And then by the time he comes, Bev gives him the eye. The friends are sizing him like, nigga, what you want? Who you, who you, who you here for? And he's like, oh, um, 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 hi, can I, you know, can I get, so just to get the words out of his mouth is a big deal. And if you now either tell him, oh, no, I don't give, I don't give, you know, I, I can't give you my number or whatever the case may be, it makes him feel stupid. The moment you make him feel stupid and your friends are laughing at him automatically in his heart, he's like, oh, shit, man. Oh, my God. It's, you know, my reputation, my rep, because automatically there's word of mouth. So he's going to feel like every time he sees you, he's going to remember that incident. Your, every time your friends see him, they're going to laugh and make fun of him. So a guy is already, a, a guy wants to be undefeated. He, he's, he's not going to run a red light. He's not going to run. He's not even going to run a yellow light. 
even that green light, you, you, you have, he, will stand at, he will stand at the green light and wait for the traffic warden to be like, you can come on. You can actually make that move. Bev, you are shaking and you're shaking, shaking in your shoes. And I'm telling you, trust me, guys are more terrified than women. You have no idea. Because uh, 10, 10 guys can ask a woman out, Bev, right? But that one woman has the power to turn either nine guys down or 10 guys down. The guys don't have that power. Women do. Are you telling me a guy does not have the power to turn a woman down? No, he does not. Ah, uh, no, 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 no. I don't. I don't agree. <laughs> I, don't agree. I don't agree. Okay, we okay. we can agree to disagree. <laughs> we are going to take this offline for sure because I have another question to ask you. But let's just um, parting shot. Give us your parting. Wait, so Ifemi and um, and mastering the business with your talent, Steve. You can be found on social media on yes. all the media platforms. Tell us your handles. Um, I am Steve Harris. That's I A M S T E V E H A W R I S. So that's Twitter and and um, Instagram. I'm not really active on Facebook, but no, you're not. Facebook, not really on Facebook. So okay, okay. So if anybody needs to reach Steve, um, or you can go to my website, IamSteveHarris.com. So that okay, works. okay. So give us your parting shot. One hour and thirty-two minutes later. I told you you like me more than the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know I was not going to mention this. You know I wasn't going to. Okay. I know, but I'm just but, letting you know. Okay. The other guy, I'm not even, let's just, just move on, please. Parting shots. That was not a party. That was a shot fired, not a parting shot. <laughs> parting shot. Thank you so much for having me, Bev. This was fun. Um, I told you I was worth the wait. Uh, here we are. So there we go. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you. You have opened many <laughs> Pandora's boxes, let me put it like that. Um, and I'm very sure I will be getting a lot of um, questions. Let's let's say, let's leave them as questions. And I will be directing them to you because I am not the expert here. Um, but thank you, thank you for coming. It was definitely worth the wait. I, 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 I feel like we should we should develop this more and then make money out of it. That's what I feel like we should do. Yeah. But let's take that offline as well so thank you thank you thank you thank you for watching everybody um you've heard where you can find him you've heard what he's passionate about you know where to get his book wait there's another book please talk about the other book the um french got, to fiance yes i got three books my first book is um from college dropouts a corporate sellout you can get it on my website my second book is um from friend to fiance um, how to get him to want you without letting him know you want him to want you. So that's 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 the second book. And then the third book is Honey, Why Are We Poor? So you can get all three um, on my website or on Amazon.com. Yeah, I actually have From Friend to Fiancé as well. So, But like I said, let's just <laughs> say goodbye to the good people and move our conversation elsewhere because, um, yeah, this can go on for a while. But thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Steve. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Please reach out, um, watch the video on YouTube, share, call people. I know there's women who need to hear this conversation. And then I know there's gentlemen who need to hear the conversation specifically about money. And then I think all of you just need to buy the book so that I can get my commission. So that then, you know, and then Steve can then get more money to bring his family to Italy because Bev needs some more company in Italy. She needs some, fr some more friends, although I'm having so much fun. But thank you for watching, Steve. Um, I will ask you, please don't log off. Just give me a few minutes. Um, as we end the broadcast, we will 
jump into the green room. So thanks everyone. Remember now and remember always, you are loved and you are enough. This is Bev Chahonyo of Verbally Speaks. See you next week with another exciting podcast. Ciao. And...